You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our Revolution series, a verse-by-verse study of the Book of Acts. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Go ahead and uh, take your seats, and if you would please turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning, in Acts chapter 15 and 16. Uh, middle school class is meeting right now after worship, so they're going to be meeting right down those stairs. If you any middle schoolers here that want to make their way over there right now. But on Sunday mornings, we are currently studying through the book of Acts in our series which we call Revolution. And we have been traveling through this book, and each week we're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, looking at all of the great things that God did in that first generation of Christianity. And as we do that, we're considering and we're contemplating and praying and asking God to show us how He might want to work in and through us here today in our generation as well. So would you please uh, open your Bibles with me at Acts 6, or chapter 15, and please bow your heads with me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you for how you have given it to us. You've handed it down to us through the ages, and now it comes to us. And Lord, we thank you that we can have complete confidence that this is your message to us. And we pray this morning that as we read it, they wouldn't just be words on a page, but Lord, we'd hear these words as the message from you, the God who loves us, the God who created us, the God who saves us to us. And Lord, that through this study of your scriptures this morning that we might be changed and transformed all the more into the likeness of your son Jesus, the model of perfection. So we ask that you would bless this study, Lord. Would you give us ears to hear all that you would speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. The title of today's message is Recalculating. And I'm sure you've all heard that voice on your GPS when you're driving. It says recalculating. Some of you You know, you can change that voice. Some of you like to have the British voice, but there's others of you, I don't know why it is, but you choose to have that voice that sounds like an, you know, an angry, an angry wife or an angry mother, you know, telling you to turn left now. And, you know, there's just some, some of us who, for some weird reason, we like that. Now, you know, recalculating, what does that mean? It means that something happened as you were going on your way. Something happened that wasn't planned, something that wasn't expected. And now it's going to send you in another direction. What's interesting is, right, your destination hasn't changed. Destination's still the same, but the route you're going to take to get there is different. It's changed. And there are times in our lives when we feel like that's exactly what's happening with us. We're recalculating because something happened that we didn't expect, that we didn't foresee, that we didn't envision. Uh, Road closures, accidents, construction, and suddenly, even though our destination hasn't changed, we're going to be taking a different path than we originally planned on taking. So here in Acts chapter 15 and 16, we're going to see the beginning of the second missionary journey. We already looked at the first one over the last couple weeks. But here in Acts 15 and 16, we're going to see that this exact thing happened to the early Christians as they headed out on their second missionary journey. We're going to see that things didn't go exactly as they expected in several areas. And as a result, they had to do a lot of recalculating. And through it all, though, we're going to see the grace of God and the providence of God and the redemption, the redeeming work of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and we're going to pray about and see how these things might apply to our lives as well. So here's what we're going to see in this chapter. Three things for for those of you who like outlines. We're going to see first of all a conflict between friends. Then we're going to see closed doors and then we're going to see a new direction. So let's begin by looking at a conflict between friends. We're going to read Acts chapter 15 starting in verse 36. It says, after some days 
Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, how many of you have friends who are more than just friends, right? Like, uh, you're not even sure what to call them because they're, they're not just friends. They're more than friends. They're like family. Your kids call them uncle. They call them aunt, even though they're not, you're not actually related, right? You do stuff together. You do holidays together. And, and you've been through a lot of stuff. It's, some of it's good. Some of it's been hard, even. But through all that, it's created a bond between you, which is deeper than just friendship. And if, if uh, anybody ever had a relationship like that, it was Paul and Barnabas. Their relationship began some 15 years before the events we're reading about here. Paul had just become a Christian, but prior to being a Christian, Paul had been a very zealous persecutor of Christians. He hated Christians. And he led a campaign, a, a crusade, you might call it, to round up the Christians and bring them to trial before the religious court in Jerusalem and have them charged with blasphemy, which was punishable by death. And so either they had to recant their faith or, or they would have to face uh, death. And so when Paul became a Christian after leading a campaign like this, you can imagine that none of the Christians wanted anything to do with him. Many of them were suspect of him. They didn't trust him. Others, they thought, you know, is this a ruse? What is this? There was one man, though, who came alongside of Paul during that time when nobody else would have anything to do with him, and that was Barnabas. Barnabas put his arm around Paul and he said, if God's willing to accept me, if God's willing to forgive me, if God's willing to give me a new beginning, then why wouldn't I do that for somebody else? Years later, things happened, people moved away, but years later, Barnabas was pastoring a church in Antioch, we've been reading about that, and he invited Paul at that time, he said, Paul, come and serve with me, I want you to serve with me, pastoring and teaching at this church in Antioch, and so there they are, they're this team, they're not just friends now, they're serving together, they're a team in the church in Antioch, teaching and preaching. And one day we read a couple chapters ago how the Holy Spirit spoke to the church in Antioch that they should set aside Barnabas and Paul for a special mission that he had called them to. And with that began the great adventure, which we know as the very first missionary journey. And for about a year, Paul and Barnabas traveled throughout the villages and towns of Cyprus and modern-day Turkey. And they faced a lot of difficulties along the way. They faced illness. They got attacked by, you know, people. Stoned Paul to death, almost killed him. They got driven out of cities. They, they got, you know, abandoned by members of their team. They went through a lot of stuff. But in spite of all the stuff they went through, they preached the gospel and people embraced Jesus and churches were planted. And then when they returned home to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas embarked on a new adventure. They found themselves in the middle of a theological controversy which was dividing the church. This is what we studied about last week. And Paul and Barnabas together, they went up to Jerusalem and together they argued and they fought for the true message of the gospel. That salvation was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. He bore our sins upon himself to make atonement for us so that we could become right with God. That we could receive that salvation through faith in what he did for us. Not by trying to merit it by our own actions. And that was a victory for the gospel. They fought for it together. Paul and Barnabas, they were a team. They were more than just friends. They were brothers. They were co-laborers for the gospel. And so after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, we read there in verse 36, hey, wouldn't it be great to go back to those places where we started the churches that we planted on that trip and check on how they're doing and give them some encouragement? And Barnabas says, yes, I would love to do that. You know, Charles 
Erdman or Erdman, he puts it this way. He says this, a proper missionary program has as its aim the establishing of self-governing, self-sustaining, self-propagating churches. This was ever the purpose and practice of Paul. And so Barnabas and Paul, they're both into this. They want to do this. They're like, yes, let's go take another trip. It's been a while since we've been chased out of town or, you know, gotten a fight with a magician or something, right? So let's go visit those guys where we started the churches on that first trip, and then we'll see where God takes us from there. And they're like, yes, awesome, let's do it, except check out what happens next. I'm going to read it from the New King James because I really prefer the way it puts it there. So it says this in verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take, him, take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul and Barnabas got in a fight, right? There's, they got in a fight over this guy named John Mark. Now John Mark is the guy who deserted them during their first missionary journey back in chapter 13. And I love how it puts it here. It's so strong, right? Barnabas was determined to take John Mark with them, but Paul insisted that they should not. When you've got one man who's determined and another man who is insisting and they don't see eye to eye, neither of them's going to budge. This is a standoff. One says, I am determined that we're going to do this. The other one says, well, I insist that we're not going to do it. Well, I am determined that we're going to take John Mark with us. Well, I insist that if you take him with us, then you can count me out because I'm not going with you in that case. And it says in verse 39 that this contention between them became so sharp. There's a part of me that does not like reading this. It makes me to feel bad to read it. I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Because here are these two men that they have so much history. They've, they've been through so much. And not only that, I look up to them so much, right? These are pastors. These are missionaries. These are the people that I want to grow up and be like when I grow up, right? These are my heroes. They, it, but now look at the way they're acting. It's not good. I mean, the way they're acting is wrong, or at least one of them's wrong, and I don't know which one. Maybe they're both wrong. Why, the question is, why are they being so stubborn about this? Like, why is Paul not willing to just get over this thing with John Mark, where, okay, the guy abandoned you, but so what, man? I mean, like, come on, give the guy another chance. And why is Barnabas making such a big issue about this? It says that the contention between them was so sharp, probably you can imagine them raising their voices. This was a bitter argument, and it got to the point where, you know, they said, that's it, you know, I'm out. I'm not working with you anymore. I'm done. I'm taking John Mark with me, Paul. You know why? Because God doesn't give up on people, Paul. And Paul says, oh yeah, God doesn't give up on people? Well, what do you think John Mark did? Didn't he give up on us when, when we were there? I, I'm not going to work with that guy ever again. If he wants to serve God, let him do it somewhere else, but he's not doing it with me. And they go back and forth. And who's writing this? I don't know. I mean, personally, I kind of lean towards Barnabas, but I'm not sure that he was totally right in this either. And as we read about this conflict between these two friends, these two pastors, missionaries, I mean, it just kind of makes you hang your head, doesn't it, as you read about it? I mean, it's just grievous. We're, we're sad to see this train wreck happening between these two men, these men who have been through so much together and now they're parting ways angrily because of a personal conflict that they can't resolve because they're both too stubborn to budge their position. That grieves me. I've seen this kind of thing happen way too many times. It's, it's not good. I believe it grieves the heart of God when his kids can't get along and when they're too stubborn and they hold on to bitterness. I mean, just this week, as I was preparing this message, literally, I got a couple phone calls from some pastor friends of mine 
in the Pacific Northwest. And it's a very similar story. That these, these guys, two guys in particular, have been serving together for 20 years. They planted churches together. The one man was the other man's mentor. And now here they are. They're having this conflict. Each of them is accusing the other of saying and doing hurtful things. And they're both demanding that the other one apologize before they will do anything on their part. And neither of them thinks that they did anything wrong. And it makes me sad. I even told them, this is what you're doing. Look, it's Paul and Barnabas all over again. I don't want to see this happening. I don't think this is good. I mean, think about this. What is Paul going to say when he goes and visits these churches that he visits? And they ask, hey, where's Barnabas? Why why didn't he come with you? And Paul's going to say, well... Uh, so, yeah, we got in a fight because I wasn't willing to uh, give this guy who messed up a second chance. And Barnabas made such a big deal out of it that we're not talking to each other anymore. And, um, and that's it, you know. How, how do you think the new Christians in Lystra and Derby are going to respond to that? They're going to say, what? You're the guys who taught us about living out the gospel and forgiving people. And now our two pastors can't get along because they're too stubborn and they got in a fight? And look at what it says in verse 39, that the contention became so sharp that they parted ways from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. These guys who had originally planned to make this trip together, now they're recalculating, aren't they? And in the end, here's the interesting thing. We end up with two teams of missionaries doing the work now instead of one. Well, that's kind of good, right? And here's what's glorious about this, is that in the end, God used this situation for good. But let me emphasize, that doesn't make it right, just because it ended up well. But it should be encouraging for us to know this, that we have a God who's bigger than sin. We have a God who's bigger than our folly. We have a God who can take even the bad things that we do and use them for good. And, And that shouldn't encourage us to do bad things, but what it should do is it should make us hopeful. That if and when we do mess up, there's a God who loves us. There's a God who's greater than our sin. There's a God who can take our mistakes and he can make beauty out of ashes. He can take bad things and use them for good. He's a redeemer. And maybe you have done some grievous things in the past. Some errors. You know, you've, you've blown it. You've messed up in big ways. And there are things that you've done and you regret them. But now, guess what? It's too late, right? You can't go back and redo them. You did it. It's done. But the good news is this, that God can use even those things for your good, for for the good of other people, for his glory, and he can use them even to fulfill his purposes. That's the promise we have. You know, a very famous promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now, we do know that at some point, Paul and Barnabas and and John Mark and Paul, all these guys, they did reconcile. In fact, in 2 Timothy, which is Paul's last letter, which he writes before his death, where he's in prison, he's not in that house arrest thing. He's like in the real prison where it's, you know, you know moldy and cold and, and it's bad. In 2 Timothy 4.11, as Paul's writing this last letter, the last part of the last letter, as he's in prison awaiting his execution, you know who he requests be sent to him so that, he can, so that, that person can minister to him? John Mark. The same guy that he was unwilling to work with. He says he's profitable to me for him to minister to me. Now, I think it's great that they eventually reconciled. And it's great that God used this situation ultimately for good. But I do believe that this could have happened in a much better way, right? If God wanted to create two teams of missionaries, he could have done that without them needing to get in a fight. And think about this. How much time do we lose? How much energy is wasted on 
petty conflicts that are ultimately unnecessary, which are rooted in stubbornness or in uh, pride. You know, life is short, and I, I don't want to see any of us wasting our days being bitter towards other people, especially people you love. You know, there's, if there's one hallmark of the Christian faith, it is forgiveness. And we are forgiven people, and therefore we are called to be forgiving people. And let me ask you this, this, let me ask you this, this morning. Is there somebody that, who you need to forgive? Is there somebody you need to be reconciled with? You know, maybe in that situation you would say, but I am 100% right and they are 100% wrong. And maybe you're right. But let me ask you this. Isn't that how Jesus forgave you? That he was 100% in the right, and you were 100% in the wrong, and guess what? He stepped out, and he sought to be reconciled with you at great cost to himself. You were the one with the problem, not him. You were the one who had done wrong, and yet he humbled himself and came to you to be reconciled with you. He reached out. He forgave you. He bore the brunt of your sin, even though he wasn't the one who had done anything wrong in the first place. Even though you weren't even looking, you weren't even looking to be reconciled with him. You didn't even ask for forgiveness when he forgave you, but yet he reached out and he did everything to be reconciled with you. Think about this. How much would it change your relationships if you lived like that? If you lived out the gospel in your relationships with other people, in the conflicts you have with other people. See, that's radical living. It requires us to be humble and lay down our pride and our stubbornness out of an act of love, which is what God did for us. He, he came to us out of love. See, love and humility, they break down people's walls. And that's what the gospel does for us. The Bible says that, that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of true life. This is the way of ultimate joy and happiness. But Paul and Barnabas... They're not there yet at this point. They'll get there, but they're not there yet. And this conflict leads to them both recalculating. Paul's going to take Silas with him, and it says there in verse 40, that having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And we read this starting in chapter 16, verse 1. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was Greek. So this Timothy, this is the person who Paul wrote the New Testament epistles of 1st and 2nd Timothy to. Later on, Paul will appoint Timothy to be the pastor of the church that he'll eventually start in Ephesus. And in his New Testament epistles, Paul refers to Timothy six times in six different letters. He refers to him as my son in the faith. But isn't this interesting? Before Timothy could join their missionary team, Paul told him that he needed to go get circumcised. Now last week, the reason this is interesting is last week we read about how Paul fought tooth and nail against those who said, quote, if you're not circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul got in a big fight about that. In fact, there was a huge rift in the church, a big division over this issue. It was another form of the same thing we're talking about, conflict between friends. Christians were divided over this issue of the role of the Jewish customs and rituals and Christianity. And last week we saw how Paul fought for the gospel. He fought for the fact that we are justified by faith. We are justified 
by God, not by our works or anything we do. We're justified because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Therefore, Christians should not be required to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses. And that view prevailed. But now here's Paul, the same Paul who argued for that position. And what's he doing? He's telling Timothy, you can't join our missionary team unless you're first circumcised. And it says, why did he do that? Because of the Jews who are in those places. Now, now what's going on here? I mean, is, some people would say, what, what is this? Is Paul getting wishy-washy on his convictions? Is he compromising his beliefs in an attempt to please these people and make them accept Timothy? Is he acting in a way that's contradictory? I don't believe so. In fact, I believe that Paul's acting in, here in a way that is completely consistent with his heart and his mind and his theology, and I'll explain why. The reason Paul wanted Timothy to get circumcised here was in order to remove any obstacle from people listening to what they had to say about Jesus. You see, even if Paul and Timothy knew that circumcision wasn't necessary for salvation, there were still a whole bunch of other people out there who did believe that it was necessary for salvation. There are many Jewish Christians who believed that, still, even after this council in Jerusalem. And whether those people were right or wrong, that's what they believed. And so if they meet Timothy and he's not circumcised and he's coming to them to talk to them about the Messiah, they're going to be upset by that. That's going to be scandalous. And they're, they're not going to be receptive to what he has to say. And so for the sake of meeting those people where they're at so they can share the gospel with them and minister to them, Paul says, let's just remove this, this issue altogether, right? Go ahead and get circumcised. We'll just take that one off the table. It won't even be a point of discussion. Not because it's necessary for Timothy to do that for his standing before God, simply because they're going to be ministering to Jewish people and they want to remove any potential stumbling block for those people hearing their message about Jesus. Once they've shared the gospel with them, then they can begin explaining justification and why circumcision isn't necessary for salvation. But unless they first meet these people where they're at, they'll never be able to have that conversation at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul explains his mentality, his missional mentality. I love it. He says this. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. I didn't have to. I did it, though, because I wanted to. Why? That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. There's nothing wrong with being circumcised. It's just why you do it. And the reason Paul did it here was for a missional purpose. And that brings up a question for us to ask ourselves this week, and that's this. What are the things that you do in your life for a missional purpose? Now, are there any ways that you go out of your way, that you intentionally inconvenience yourself so that you might be more effective in representing Jesus to your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members? See, Timothy didn't need to be circumcised, and I'm sure he wasn't very excited about being circumcised. I mean, who would be? But he had such a strong sense of mission that he was willing to do Whatever it was, whether it's uncomfortable or if it's inconvenient, it doesn't matter. If it meant that people would be more receptive to listening to what he had to say about Jesus, then he'll do it. See, the one thing they weren't willing to change, though, they weren't willing to change the gospel. 
They weren't going to change that to make that more palatable. They weren't going to water that down to make that, make people more willing to receive that. But as much as depended on them as people, they were going to remove any potential obstacles to people receiving the gospel from them. See, that's what it's about to live a missional life. That's what God did for us, didn't he? That is the gospel, that God inconvenienced himself for us. He took on discomfort, even though he didn't need to. And he did it out of love in order to reach out to us so that we could be brought into his family. And so to live a missional life, to live out God's mission in your life, is to live with the same perspective and approach for the sake of other people. And so again, I, I encourage you, write the question down, let it kick around in your mind this week. What are the things that you are doing or that you can be doing for a missional purpose so that people would be more ready to receive the gospel from you. Let's continue on verses 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And now this brings us to our second section, second thing we see in this section, which is closed doors. Read me from verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So after visiting the churches, they started on their first missionary journey. Now Paul and Silas and Timothy, they set their sights on new frontiers for preaching the gospel and planting churches. And the place they want to go is the region of Asia. Now, when it says they wanted to go to Asia, please understand, we're not talking about Far East Asia. We're not talking about China, Japan, you know, those places. What this is referring to is the Roman province of Asia, which is actually in western Turkey. I've got a map here for you that can uh, help you see. It says that that's the province of Asia. And the major city in the province of Asia is one of the great cities of the ancient world, the city of Ephesus. And this would have been really the most natural place to go from where they were at when they, when they decided to go on, which was Pisidian Antioch, which is one of the places they visited on their first trip as well and started a church. You see, there was a major road that led east and west across the whole you know, peninsula of Asia Minor. And it led west from Pisidian Antioch, where they were at, to the cities of Colossae, which might ring a bell to you, and Ephesus, which are both in the province of Asia. This is actually the same road that they had been traveling on coming from the east, so it would just na seem natural that they would continue on that same road and continue going west, and that was their plan. But something happened that's a bit surprising. It says there in verse 6 that they were forbidden from speaking the word in Asia, and don't miss who it was who forbade them from speaking the word in Asia, it was the Holy Spirit. Now that's surprising, right? Here's Paul and his team, and they say, we want to go to Asia and preach the gospel. We want to go to Ephesus and start a church. And what does the Holy Spirit say? No. Okay, well, um, why? What, what is that, right? We might expect the Holy Spirit to forbid people from doing something bad, but why would the Holy Spirit forbid somebody from doing something good, especially something like this, like preaching the gospel and starting churches? I mean, you might expect the Holy Spirit to stop people from doing something like cheating on their taxes or robbing a 7-Eleven, right? But you never expect the Holy Spirit to forbid people from preaching the gospel and planting churches. That just seems very strange. Now, maybe you've experienced that in your own life, right? There's been something you wanted to do, something that you've prayed for, and it was a good thing. 
There's nothing wrong with it. It was a great thing. It was something that God likes and God loves. And yet, it didn't work out. The door was closed and the answer was no. And you wonder, why, God? It's not like I'm trying to do something bad here. I'm trying to do something good. I'm trying to do something for you. Why would you not let this happen? You know, what we don't know is how exactly the Holy Spirit forbade them from going there. It may have been that the, the Holy Spirit gave these missionaries just a strong inward impression that they should not go that way. Maybe it was some outward circumstance which made it impossible for them to travel that way. So illness or a political situation that made travel in that direction impossible. We don't know. But here they are again and the plans have changed unexpectedly. And once again, they're recalculating. You know, it's been said, and I think it's been said well, that blessed are the flexible for they shall not be broken. These guys' plans didn't work out. They wanted to do something good, but the Holy Spirit forbade them from doing it. And then it says in verse 7 that when it didn't work out for them to go to Asia, which was their first plan, they said, okay, well then we'll try and go north on the other road that goes north to the region of Bithynia. But it says there that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that either. Now you can imagine, try and put yourself in their shoes, this must have been a very frustrating time, very confusing time for Paul and his team here. Here they are once again recalculating and they end up in Troas. They had never really intended to go to Troas. At best, this was their third choice of places to go. They probably never even thought of going there. It just happened to be the only place left that they could go. So they took that road and they end up in Troas. But as we're going to see in just the next couple of verses, it was the Holy Spirit's plan to lead them there. And I want you to notice this. Notice how the Holy Spirit led them. The Holy Spirit led them through hindrance, by closing doors. And for you and me, this is true as well. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit guides us is through hindrance, by not letting things work out, by blocking our plans. Sometimes God leads us just as much by closing doors as he does by opening doors. And that can be very frustrating. Sometimes we get very upset about that, right? Like, God, I have this great plan for how my life's going to work out. I'm going to go here, and I'm going to do this. And God says, no, you're not, and it's just not going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. And, and sometimes, you know, people can feel like God betrayed them or that he's forsaken them. And we say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? I mean, I would just want this so badly. I don't ask you for a lot. I'm just asking for this one thing, and it's a good thing. Why would you close this door? Why would you say no? You know, if there's one question that weighs heavily on the hearts and minds of many Christians, it's this. You know, how can I know the will of God for my life? How can I know what God wants me to do? Now, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, very well-known scripture. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. But here's the thing. Sometimes you've got to be willing to lay down your plans and accept the direction, the different direction that the Holy Spirit's leading you in, that God's leading your life in. Because sometimes God leads through open doors and sometimes God leads through closing doors. You know, David Livingston uh, was a great missionary to Africa in the 1800s, he explored the interior of the African continent. He brought the gospel to places that had never uh, been before. But, you know, David Livingston, the way he ended up in Africa, originally he tried to go to China, but it didn't work out. The missionary societies wouldn't take him. So he ended up going to Africa, his second choice. And the rest is history. I mean, the guy ended up changing the world 
uh, for the gospel and, and in many other ways. William Carey was the man who pioneered the modern missionary movement in India. He set up orphanages that still, you know, continue on to this day. Originally, he wanted to go to Polynesia, but it didn't work out, so he ended up in India. That's how he got there. Adoniram Judson brought the gospel to Burma, but originally, he wanted to go to India. It just didn't work out. You see, God used closed doors to direct all of these people to the places where he wanted them to be, even though they didn't originally plan to go there. Me, I mean, I wanted to go to Hawaii, but I guess I ended up here in Longmont, Colorado. Just how it, just how it happens sometimes, I guess, you know. I guess this will be okay. But in all truth, actually, that, that's how I ended up in Hungary. I, I wanted to go to Ukraine, just kind of the, the exact opposite of Hawaii. But uh, Hungary was not on my radar. I, I didn't even think of Hungary, right? But those doors closed in Ukraine, and a, a door opened in Hungary, and these people were inviting me to come there, and I said, all right, I'll come for a couple months, kind of just to pacify them and to buy some time so I could get to Ukraine, right? And now looking back, I spent 10 years in Hungary. I met my wife there. My kids were born there, planted two churches. I had 10 of the most wonderful years of my life there, right? I mean, I would have never envisioned it, but I'm so glad that God redirected my path by closing those doors in front of me. I've known a lot of people who wanted to do things, good things. They wanted to get married. Or they wanted to have children. or They wanted to serve God in some way. But the door's closed. I've seen people get laid off from their jobs. And, and like Paul here in Troas, they're confused and they're frustrated and they're wondering, okay, God, why? Why are you letting this happen to me? And the question becomes this, and this is really the question for all of us to consider even before we get to that point, and that's this. Are you willing to accept God's plan and direction for your life even when it doesn't match up with the way that you originally envisioned things going? Because look at what happens next. We see our third section here, a new direction, starting in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has call, had called us to preach the gospel to them. So there in Troas, God made it clear why he had not allowed them to go to Asia or to Bithynia. It was because God wanted them to go somewhere else and do something that wasn't even on their radar, that they weren't even thinking about. God was leading these people to take Christianity, to take the gospel to Europe. Paul's vision was to take the gospel to a few new cities. God's vision was bigger than that. God wanted to take the gospel to a whole new continent. And historically speaking, Christianity coming to Europe is humongous. I mean, it, it would be from Europe that Christianity would spread out into the entire world. Paul had a plan, but God had an even greater plan, one that would change history. And notice again, uh, starting in verse 10, there's an, another interesting thing to point out, and that's that the pronoun changes, right? It changes from being, they did this, they did that, to being, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The author of this book, a man named Luke, he's now including himself in this story. And apparently there in Troas, Luke joined up with Paul and the other missionaries, and, they, and he went with them to Macedonia. Now it's possible that Luke was from Troas, and he met the missionaries there in his hometown. We, we don't know. We can only speculate. Maybe he became a, a Christian by meeting these missionaries, and he joined up with them. We do know that Luke was Greek. We also know that Luke was a physician. And there are some people who believe that Paul suffered from poor health and that Luke came alongside to be Paul's personal physician. We don't know, but no matter what, we know this. The author of Acts 
now joins up on their trip, and he's going with them now. From verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and, from, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered together. So their regular practice, whenever they come into a new city, they would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, where they knew that they would be given the opportunity to speak. But there in Philippi, they start asking, hey, where's the synagogue? And there is no synagogue in Philippi. In order to form a synagogue, you needed to have at least 10 Jewish men. In this city, they didn't even have that many. There was, however, a group of women who would gather down by the river to pray. And so Paul and his team, they go down to the river. They're hoping to be able to share with some people about Jesus. And we read from verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This woman, Lydia, was the first convert to Christianity in Europe. She was a seller of purple, which tells us that she was well-to-do because purple cloth was worn by royalty. And the reason it was worn by royalty was because it was incredibly expensive. And so Lydia, as a seller of purple, she's a dealer in fine goods, right? This is the guy who sells BMWs or jewelry for a living. And it says that when she heard the gospel, the Lord opened her heart to receive what was said by Paul, and she believed. She was baptized, her whole household was baptized, and it seems that there in her house, the first Christian church on the European continent was founded. This is interesting, right? Because Paul had a vision of what? He had a vision of a Macedonian man. That's why he came. And when he gets to Macedonia, guess what he found out? That the Macedonian man, turns out, was actually a woman. And isn't that typical of this trip? That everything we've read about in this section, that absolutely nothing has worked out the way that Paul expected or envisioned it. There's just been this constant recalculating. But now look. Look at where they're at. Instead of one missionary team, now there are two. Now the gospel's spreading out into Europe. Now there's, there's believers in Philippi. There's a church that's being started in this woman's house. It wasn't what Paul had envisioned at all. But it was good, wasn't it? It was very good. And similarly, maybe not everything in, in your life or in my life is going to work out the way that we envisioned it. But if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, if you walk with him, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, he will direct your path to his plan for you. We've seen the Holy Spirit guiding in this section in, in various ways. We've seen him guide through circumstances. We've seen him guide through their own logic and reason. We've seen him guide through a vision. The Holy Spirit has guided them personally. He's guided them corporately. And these are all important aspects of how God leads us and how we discern his will for our lives. But that's not the only thing that the Holy Spirit has done in this section. The other thing, very importantly, that the Holy Spirit has done that we read about here is that the Holy Spirit opened a person's heart to receive the message of the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and that's you. The Holy Spirit is opening your heart to receive the gospel. I pray that God would do that work in the hearts of each and every one of us who are here this morning, that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts to receive the gospel. I pray that you would know God's love for you and that you would look to Jesus. You would trust fully in what he did for you so that you might be forgiven, so that you might be justified, so that you might receive all of these things by faith that you might receive a new life in him. Would you please stand with me 
and pray. Lord, we thank you for the message of the gospel, this message, Lord, that we are, we are more sinful and broken than we, than we even realize. But Lord, we are more loved by you at the same time than we could have ever imagined or ever dreamed possible. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Lord, thank you that the message of the gospel is that you know us more than we even know ourselves and yet you love us completely. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the redemption that you've brought us through the cross. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive these words and receive the message of the gospel. We pray that they would sink down deep within us and that they would transform us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our Revolution series, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.